Welcome back to Radical Thursdays. Um, hope you've had a great week so far. Um, this week we are meeting with one of my friends and we are actually both starting a club together. So you'll hear a little bit about that. Um, yeah, hope you enjoy it. And- this week's guest is named Steph. And as Kenny mentioned, she's starting a club club at her college. So we'll learn all about that process. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're studying in school, all that jazz? Yeah, so I'm a freshman in college and I'm majoring in elementary education and special education. So I will be getting two certifications. And then I also plan on getting another certification in urban education because I do at one point want to teach in an urban district because I feel like it is very beneficial to our upcoming society. And I just love working with kids, which is kind of just what brought me into the field. I've been working with kids since I was like 12 years old and I've always gravitated towards kids. And even like as a kid, I would play teacher with all of my friends. So it was kind of just a thing that I've always known for my entire life is like, I'm going to be a teacher one day and I'm going to work with kids for the rest of my life. And yeah. So um, everyone says that, everyone that knows Steph and I both says that we are both like the same exact person. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) it's kind of hasn't surprised me that like the more that we, like we never talked about when we were kids, but I literally did the same exact thing. I would like Mm -hmm. teach my sister and all my stuffed animals together. I would like make my sister come to my classroom and stuff. Yeah, Um, that's how a lot of early education majors are. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, I did this as a kid. I was like, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, our children at heart at heart permanently, I guess, which is what my mom has been telling me. But and the more and more she says it, the more I realize it's true. Yeah, I also feel like the development of a mind is just so fascinating because each kid just develops differently. And it's just like so interesting. So. Do you guys take developmental psychology then for part of your course? I just took psychology this past fall semester and then I have to take educational philosophy next semester. So, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about, so the club is called Smiles for All. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little, about, a little bit about why we decided to start it and like who like the target art audience is? And is it a chapter? I feel like it sounds like a chapter name. That's why I was wondering, is there like a parent organization or club? No. Okay. Well, good job on the name, I suppose. <laughs> Okay, so the organization of the club kind of just came out of nowhere. Me, Kenya, and another one of our friends, we were studying in a study room or just like doing our homework. And somehow we just got on the topic of like the foster care system and how many kids we want to have in the future and how we always wanted to adopt in the future. And we were just going on and on about the foster care system and how much help is needed because there are just so many kids out there that are going into rough neighborhoods and just not getting the quality like life that they deserve. So we were like, we should, maybe we could like start a club and just do community service in the Pittsburgh area because that's where our college is. It's like in the Pittsburgh area. Um, 
so we were just so invested in trying to create a name and everything and the purpose of our club to support those around us. So that's why we called our club Smiles for All. So the purpose of it is self-explanatory. It's in the name and it is pretty much to make everyone smile. So all the participants in our club will be smiling because it makes other people smile. And just some things that we want to do is partner with some foster care and do different events for all of those who are in the foster care system to make sure that they feel loved and feel worthy of being here because not many of them feel like that because they don't know why they're in the foster care system like most of the time. And that's the same for adoption agencies because I actually did some research and about 100,000 children are not adopted each year. And that is crazy. And they're probably in the adoption home thinking, why? So the main purpose of our club is to go and interact with the kids and just show them that there is a purpose and you can smile and there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's about it, yeah. Yeah, um, you said it perfectly. Um, one thing that I'll add is that we also, so we're definitely focusing on foster care and adoption agencies, but also um, we're also looking into children's hospitals. So working with and just playing with kids who are just sick. Um, and I think one of the main reasons that we also wanted to do it is just because like when you're a kid, like all you sh should have to worry about is just being a kid and like playing and exploring. Like those and are some prime times. Right. And so these kids who are put in these experiences, mm -hmm. unfortunately, can't worry about that. And so by us as college students, just going down and just playing with these kids, we can give them even like that hour, that two hours to just play and feel like a kid for a little bit. Yeah. And we could also be like a role model to them and show them like you can be like us one day. You can like if you put your heart to something, you can do it. And that's just a quality that we wish to strive for in all of the kids that we interact with that's really cool that reminds me of um the boys and cl girls club the, um, the big brother program or big sister program kind of having that mentor that's kind of like young but not you know too old that can provide that mentorship that a lot of these kids lack yeah and that's also another reason why I want to get my urban certification in education because I feel like urban areas are just known like they're stereotyped badly and not all kids are bad and that's just facts like you can't just label a kid based on where they go to school you know so I feel like if I can be a teacher in an urban district and show them you're not bad okay I will find ways to show the world that not every kid is bad and that is like my biggest goal in life is like to eliminate the stereotypes. I think it just stems from an urban uh, communities, like a lack of support system outside of school because people are working and they just don't have time and the child support to do so. Yeah. And then a, a lack of feeling loved that makes them turn to uh, other avenues that may not be the best mentorship. And I think that's uh, typically what happens. But then again, um, that's a generalization. So that may not be the case for everyone, but it's definitely a major issue, which is why, you know, the boys and girls club and 
uh, programs like that and what you guys are doing are so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so one, so Steph and I were just kind of, when we first came, came up with this idea, we were just looking up um, a bunch of different facts and just kind of learning about the foster care system um, because we all kind of just know that it's mm, Not lackluster at best. Yeah. Um, and so we were just looking up different facts, trying to learn more about it. And I think the one that we, that impacted both of us um, came from the Allegheny County De- Department of Human Services and Child Welfare, which is, I'm, Allegheny's kind of close to us, right? Yeah. It's okay. close to college. Yeah. It's like 40 minutes away. Okay. So that was, that's also um, impactful that it's near us. But it talked about the different risk factors um, by order of importance that predict um, a child being put in foster care. And there were two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There were nine different or 10 different um, risk factors. And nine out of the 10 have to do with the mother of the kid. And um, which makes sense because we've always learned and we've learned more in like one of our classes that we had um, that like the the mother role with the child is more impactful on the um, is more impactful on the child just because they have that connection from birth and from even before birth. Um, So it includes different factors such as um, mom's drug and alcohol history, mom's mental health history, um, food assistance, homelessness, all that information. Um, marital status, Medicaid. Um, but the one that really stuck out was that the one factor that includes the dad um, is the dad's race, which I think is, um, it was an eye-opener because you always hear about the mom and it's really disheartening to hear that the one kind of, um, the one like factor or one kind of, I guess you could say quote unquote piece of input that a father has on their child, like where their child ends up is simply their race, which is something that they can't change. Mm -hmm. But it speaks volumes to the um, nature of our country at the moment and how um, race truly impacts um, everything. And for me, just seeing that that's kind of the one thing that the father gives to the child um, was really a big wake-up call. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also not just about race. If the only factor that they included, that includes the dad, it is about just race, and that's it. I think it speaks volumes as to people and society's norms towards what women's jobs are and putting all the factors on women when, in reality, you know, some of it is, you know, valid in, you know, developmental psychology and all that when it comes from the mother's womb and such and how it's treated and everything. But it just speaks volumes as to gender norms and everything when they really shouldn't exist. It should be a partnership and responsibility shouldn't just be placed on the mom for everything, for giving love and whatnot. But, you know, that goes into bigger roles and such as, you know, just like toxic masculinity and the ability to express emotion. So, but it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so when, so we're in the very beginning stages of it, which is why I think it's interesting that we are, um, talking about it because 
all of our past episodes have been kind of established organizations. So this one, you kind of get, you get to see it from the literal very beginning and it's just a brief idea right now. Um, Yeah. Like right now, I feel like we're in the information stage. We're trying to gather as much information and educate ourselves before we go out in the world and try and help because we can't really help if we don't know what we're working with. So I think it's very important to educate ourselves in what we're trying to accomplish. And for people that are trying to do something similar, yeah. uh, what resources did you, or have you thus far looked at that have helped you the most? So are there other clubs that you look towards as a model or, you know, what sources? I would say the biggest one was um, our, one of our classes. So Steph and I had a class on Monday nights. It was just, we met once a week for our first semester. And um, the professor is actually who we're going to ask to be um, the, the what? The moderator or. Right. The moderator, like the, the leader for the club, like the, the staff that you need to have in order to start a club on campus. Um, And so that class, it was called Family Systems and Perspectives. And first of all, the professor himself was just like, he was just such a good professor. I think I personally really liked the class because it was my first um, experience with actually having a class that I was interested in and I wanted to learn and it was directly applicable to my major and what I wanted to do because I felt all through school, like I want to go into education, but I found kind of all classes not that interesting. And so learning directly about the factors that impact a child's education and how to simply just be a great teacher, um, I really enjoyed. And just hearing our professor's experiences in the the education system and how he's taken those not so great experiences that he's had to become the amazing professor he is um, was really inspirational for me. I like 100% agree. He was the best teacher, role model, and he's basically someone that I strive to be as a future teacher, interact with all of my students and share stories and show them that there is a positive outcome. It just takes time because like Kenya said, he did have a rough educational background and he said that meant much of it was because of his language barrier growing up because he does have an accent from his home country so I feel like due to that he just had it rough and he showed us that there is a positive outcome because look at him now like he's a professor at a college so clearly something went right and I admire him for that I think that one thing that he said and he said it repeatedly probably almost every class that like one of the like the biggest key factor to becoming a great teacher is simply just taking the time to understand your students and your families. And like, I think our education system for a while has been just about producing good scores and good outcomes for more money. When that's really, that really takes a toll on the actual children that you're teaching because you're not at that point, you're not educating them. You're just feeding them information for them to just go out in the workforce, which doesn't really impact their lives. And so I think when you take the time to 
treat your students as actual human beings and as like young people growing up, it makes a major difference on who they become and how they impact um, the world. And one thing that I, Belle and I were also talking last night, this is kind of a side note, Belle and I were talking last night. And one thing that I said, we were just talking about like what we want to do in life kind of. And um, I texted this, I said, my one goal in life that everything boils down to is educating children in a way that they can change the world. And for me, that's all I want to do because I feel like if I can impact even one student, then that student can go out and impact another person. It's just a chain effect from there. And so for me, that's my one goal. And I think that our club in starting this is a great um, start to that. Fun fact, um, I'm almost certain, and I'm like 90% sure on this one, because if it's not this guy, it's another guy. The reason why the American school system is meant to push out all those facts, even though there's been like no improvement and we are not number one in the world by far um, in education, was influenced by General Ford Motors, so Rockefeller back in the industrial area. So it was modeled after a factory. So the more you know, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but yeah. That explains a lot. Yeah. And yeah. Then about the fact pushing. So the East Coast of the United States right now is having a major snowstorm, whatever you want to call it, blizzard type situation. And due to this pandemic, these kids are not getting snow days because everything's virtual. And I find it so disheartening that these children, like five and six-year-olds, don't have the glory of just staying home and playing in the snow. Like, I strive for that as a kid. And when I had those days, it just made me so happy. And I've been, like, seeing on the news that it's hurting kids' mental health. And I'm just so, like, broken about it. And I work with kids now and I can see how happy they are when they see snow and having to redirect them to go back onto their Zoom calls, which first of all, they can't pay attention in in the first place. They're like six years old. They get like distracted so quickly. It's just, it's so sad because kids just aren't having snow days and it's just not good. Yeah, my parents and I were talking about that last night because I was telling them about how like some kids may not have a snow day. And I was like, if we've been able to find a way to fit snow days into our schedule, I think out of all years, this should be the year that we really push it because, and I didn't realize, like for me, I love distance learning, but at the same time, I'm 17, 18 year old person who can take care of myself. Mm -hmm. But when I went back to work and I started working with like five-year-olds, like kindergartners through second grade who had to do distance learning it was the most challenging thing because they didn't want to do it. The teachers had a hard time Mm -hmm. focusing 20 different people who are on different computers. Um, And so I think, like you said, just they're still kids. And so giving a kid a simple snow day, like I don't see why they can't. And I think the fact that people are just ignoring that and being like, well, everything's online. You can just continue Mm -hmm. again, just like kind of, I feel like t- saying taking away the, their humanity is a drastic statement, 
But at the same time, I feel like it's a drastic statement. I feel like it's going in that direction. Yeah, but like in a way, she's wow. kind of right because, like we said, this is their childhood, and they they need these days as a break. I need these days as a break, and I'm 18 years old. <laughs> like I feel like we just all need a day of fun, and these kids are just forced to do school, and it's difficult. Well, I hate to say it, if they really wanted to, they could do homeschool, but. You know what? I could say a really loaded statement right now, but I'll refrain, actually. <laughs> but, well, to be fair, though, they have the weekends. Everyone does. And those are, um, I don't think the snow is going to melt from our blizzard for a bit. Because apparently we're going to have, like, what What did you say last night, Kenya? That it raised to, like, 10 to 15 or whatever, or 10 to 12? It raised to 10 to 18, and now it's 18 to 24. Oh, gee. It Maybe in it did not here in oh. Pennsylvania. The snow will be gone by tomorrow. <laughs> no, ours is going to be two feet. That's so disheartening. Um, no, but I will say though, snow days were probably the best. The one day that everyone looked forward to. You would like put your under. What was it like? You put your underwear inside out. You flush an uh, ice cube down the toilet. Have you ever heard of all those things? And you the put spoon, a spoon under your pillow, yeah. facing yeah. like north or something, mm-hmm. and then like the thrill of just laying in all day and like watching like Christmas movie or holiday. So why movie. would you take that away from a kid who's already hating school as is? Kenya, they have like less of a day than we do in high school. Well, we're not in high school anymore, but you know. But, but educating is harder for them. Exactly. Like, and educating I, is harder for everybody. I know, but I everybody, like, it's harder for everybody. Everyone's just, it's harder for the teachers. There's not much you can do about it. Oh, give the teachers do a break. Anything right and yeah if you give the teachers a break we're not going to progress they won't have a job they okay. are no, but look at us we have had so many snow days in our past and we've turned out just fine our teachers have also had several breaks from snow days and it gives them like a mental break they can grade without being interrupted they can plan for their next day because i'm telling you right now this education system the curriculum flips almost every single year and these elementary school teachers having to learn new curriculum and new activities to support these kids is insane. So these I will say mental break and just thinking about their next step is so important. The new ABC system or whatever that I keep seeing on TikTok from new teachers is ridiculous. So I will say that it is changing and I've noticed a shift mm-hmm. based off of what people are talking about from when we were growing up to now, which I think is mildly crazy, but I suppose people are get interested from different reasons as generations progress. So I guess it makes sense. But it, at the same time, it's like everyone's going through a shift. Everyone's having a hard time. Complaining's not going to do anything about it. Like imagine trying to explain to a four-year-old or five, okay, a five-year-old that we are in a global pandemic thousands of people are dying a day they have to do school online they can't like see their friends they can't eat lunch with their friends they can't just cut out pieces of paper arts and crafts like that's hard to explain for a kid and for a kid to understand it and working with young kids right now like on zoom the two big things that I've noticed is the social interaction they're gaining nothing There's no relationship with their teacher. There's no relationship with their classmates. If they have a question, they don't know who to ask because they don't have someone they can rely on. And second, 
these kids are learning how to write letters on a tablet. They're not learning like their gross motor skills for the future. How do I hold a pencil? They're going to be eight years old and not know how to hold a pencil, which is a very important skill to have in your daily life. And it's just very sad right now. Well, to be fair, our general motor skills have been decreasing throughout years. Mm -hmm. Like we used to be taught how to do uh, cursive when we were like little tots. Well, not little, literally little tots, but you know. Third grade. Yeah. And now they don't even teach that, which is crazy. So, you know, it, it, you can't really say, so to speak, it's because of that, but and don't they sell those handwriting books? I had one of those when I was growing up. Yeah, they but... do have those handwriting books, but they don't know how, like I had a kid use a handwriting book and just hold a pencil like he was holding a baseball bat and he was writing. Some people still write like that. <laughs> it's just so sad. Like when you're talking about cursive and how they took it out of the education, how are they supposed to sign their name in the future? Like, how is this benefiting our upcoming generation? It's not. I don't know how. My sister doesn't even, my two sisters don't even know how to do cursive, so. My cousin's like 25, and he had to drop a class because his teacher wrote only in cursive, and he's like, I did not understand a single thing that my teacher was writing, so he dropped the class. I think it's very much so um, regionally based on, like, by school district, because some school districts for little ones, I've seen, like, based off of what people have been sharing, like, major collaboration and they're explaining the virus in such a way that children are even playing in like when they have limited class sizes obviously in recess uh there's a video on the internet they were we know when you had to in recess oh my god this is bringing back hella memories someone would take a like a, a string and they would go in a circle and you'd have to jump over it they would play that game and then yeah. if you got hit they would go into a state on their pavement to quarantine. So there some, yeah, to, it shows that they have an understanding of the virus and what happens and what you have to do. It's just, I think it's a regionally and school district based understanding. Some people have a harder time explaining to it and it can be because of the, oh my gosh, I hope that echo is not on. Oh. No, you're fine. Um, I think it just depends on your school system at that point. It really depends on the school system, which is sad. I wish it was more of a universal, you know, what's happening and how you approach things. But unfortunately, that's not reality. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier with the urban school districts, which is really depressing, especially when they don't have access to, you know, those tablets that you were mentioning and those computers and they really lose out on the social interaction. So I think it's really just about disproportionately effect impacting urban versus, you know, rural cities. Exactly. And like bringing up the supplies in the urban district, I actually saw a TikTok series, which I believe I showed to Kenya one night while we were studying and it was talking about teachers pay rates. And we know for several years there have been, countless amount of strikes to try and increase teachers pay and I would just like to say right now I voluntarily chose this like career for the children I do not care if I make $30,000 a year or $80,000 a year if I am helping people I'm doing my job 
And I would like this video that I saw on TikTok was a woman buying groceries and like three notebooks for her students. And she did not have enough money. So she told the cashier, oh, just like take away the eggs. I'm getting these notebooks for her children. So these teachers, like the classrooms, how they're decorated, that's teacher's money. That's not the school's money. So the money that teachers make, whether it's 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, that is going towards the children to get them the supplies that they need, no matter where they live to help them. So I feel like that's just a total like misconception in today's society because they're like oh teachers make $70,000 a year like what else could you need what <laughs> I have never heard a salary that high of a teacher <laughs> it depends on where you are like Washington DC me and Kenya did research and it was like 73 or something like that if you're in a good school district or your private school though the public yeah. schools in DC are like not that good but like either way there are <laughs> teachers out there making yeah. 60 70 grand a year and that is above average for the United States like the average is like 30 to 40k so for teacher salary yeah okay so even if you're on like the higher end of the teaching pay scale that money is still going towards the kids yeah so I feel like if you're working in an urban school district if my kid needs an iPad I will rent him an iPad or her an iPad like if they needed to improve their educational skills I will do it for them and that's my goal as a teacher Oh my goodness, I just remembered ABC Mouse. That was part of my point earlier, but I totally forgot about it. Anyway, that's not important right now, though. Um, <laughs> um, but I, it is crazy how much teachers have to pay outside, out of their own pocket. And a lot of people, especially at the younger ages, when a lot of the classroom material are those books that are, yeah, books are really expensive, especially hardcover if you want them to last. And they're really vital to when you have your kids sit down and just read reading time or nap time to help them expand their knowledge and, you know, reading capability. Um, I was going to say with the urban, so we're going to get our urban certification mm-hmm. and um, just the urban school in general. So two things. One, um, the fact that like urban teachers get paid more than suburban teachers simply because teachers don't want to go teach in those rough areas to me is really sad. And um, that's due to the stereotypes that we have in today's society. Right. And the other thing, which brings back to another conversation that we had while we were at school, was about the um, police officers in schools and Bella and I didn't have police officers. We had like a drug officer, but they were there once a week compared to urban city schools. And I guess way more schools than I even noticed have multiple officers in their schools who are roaming the halls who are there every day. And that was just such a big wake up call. And I remember I um, had a little mental breakdown about it because the fact that school can't even be a safe place for kids to learn. And I understand the violence and the threat, of course, but the fact that like five-year-olds have to walk through a metal detector every day before they go to learn is such an astonishing fact. And I mean, I don't know the solution, but I 
believe that there has to be a better solution than having metal detectors in schools. And there, there are movements that are slowly um, taking them out of schools, but they're still very present in a decent amount of schools and even just police officers in general. To clarify, it's a circumstantial fact, technically. But when I was growing up before I moved to Granby, um, I lived in a suburb of DC. And uh, before the year that I moved here, the first half of the year, I switched to public school so that it would be an easier transition, kind of same playing field. And at least in the elementary school, we didn't have metal detectors, but we had police um, that would kind of monitor. And, you know, they were nice. It's not as scary as you think, because usually the police officers in the younger schools are nicer. That's not to say that that's consistent across the board. But in the middle school, uh, literally, right next to the elementary school, there were metal detectors like Kenya mentioned, and you would have to go through them to get into the middle school. And that would be because kids would bring violence into the school and they would have to you know, screen for like knives and pocket knives and things like that, that people would try to sneak in. So, but it is crazy that you would even have to have that in the first place. But I think it also speaks to what we were talking about earlier with that lack of you know, mentorship outside of the school our positive influence. One thing while we were also, or well, Steph was also like just researching some more about this. Um, one fact came from youthtoday.org that said that 25 to 40% of foster care homes are abusive and are known for neglecting the child. Um, and that's just another thing that we aim to, I mean, we can't help in a massive way. Mm-hmm. But even just that small, um, like, again, those small few hours of, like, joy that we give to a kid is, I think, can be um, very impactful on the child and just creating that positive influence. And not even, I think, the connection that we will make with the kids will go beyond just those two hours and we can become, like, their mentors, like Bella said, and, um, like, their advocates and, just become, I don't know, like just create that connection for these kids. And I understand that it's not every kid, it's not every situation, but whether the kid is in foster care or they're sick in a hospital, they're going through experiences that are less than ideal. And I think us just being there to support them and letting them know that someone truly cares for them can play a major role in their lives. And it provides safety for children that may be in the more unstable environments, that sense of just comfort, like a blanket Mm -hmm. that they may not have. Well, not literally, though, of course. Um, And like just for reference for like the people listening to this podcast, our club, when we partner with like foster care systems or adoption agencies, it's not aimed specifically towards younger children. The foster care system is birth to 18. And the adoption agency is also birth to 18. So we will be working with people of all, like up to 18, basically. It's not just aimed towards our youth. It's for all people in those situations. Like Steph mentioned, it is, a lot of people forget about the teenagers because they just don't want to deal with it. We're going through a lot of emotions that the older you get that are maybe vocalized and not the most pleasant way. And 
also to that, you know, there are siblings that go into the system that get separated and that causes a lot of trauma. Lots of people that go into the system end up coming out with it with PTSD, like Seth mentioned, homelessness as soon as they become 18 because they're no longer the government's responsibility. And these are difficult things. They come back from if they get to college, which not the majority don't, they're coming back to no house when they go on break and things like that. It's a lot of heavy emotions that negatively impact society as we progress. So if there are small ways like this program that we can help mitigate that trauma and that you know negative impact, it, it, it will be better as, you know, just a generally a good society. But semi-side note, kind of, because it has to deal with the foster care system, but not really. Have you watched the movie Instant Family? No. But Kenya was trying it. to get me hooked on the show The Fosters. I don't like that show. No. It was just too boring for me. I watched like three episodes and then obviously we came home for winter break. So me and Kenya haven't really continued watching it. But I was so invested just because I am passionate about learning about the foster care system. And I think the show is just a good representation of what it is. And yeah. Oh, I love that show. Mm-hmm. I love watch instant family people it's a good movie Mm -hmm. anyway on to our next fact um so when we were talking about the fact stated by youth today about the 25 to 40 percent of homes are most likely abusive or known for neglecting the child a factor of that neglect is often that the foster care is through the government the government pays families to support that child. Therefore, they're making a monthly income for one child. The reason there is neglect in the families is because oftentimes families are fostering to gain money. They're not using that government money for the child's benefit. And I don't exactly remember where I got this source from, but I saw that 30% of families that foster children are doing it for the sole purpose of making an average of $1,500 per month and pocketing it and not using it for the child's benefit. And that is just so devastating. It's crazy. It's crazy. And another thing that just bothers me is that the foster care system has so many social workers and these social workers are going to these homes to find these kids homes and just don't see that they're using it for money or maybe they do see it and they're using it for money and they just don't maybe have there's just not, yeah there's not enough uh demand mm-hmm. but I, but either way it's just so heartbreaking that parents or just families in general are doing it for money yeah, I've never understood why, uh, granted, every situation is different. So it may be one of those things where it helps supply their income and ability to feed, you know, the child. But I've never understood why the money wouldn't just go into the child itself and to their own bank account or what have you, or why the family wouldn't invest it for the child to use so that they can, you know, get things that normal kids do or save and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's crazy. And like you said, like a lot of these kids come out with PTSD or homelessness, that money per month to not be neglected 
or just to be saved for the future of that child could completely change the outlook of our yep. care system. And it's just not changing. And I think that's another reason why me and Kenya are trying to create this club because it's been statistically proven that a smile a day can last forever. Like people will look back on that day and be like, oh my gosh, do you remember when they came or like when they complimented me or something? And I just like, that's our goal is to make people smile and remember that smile. Yeah. And like the, like, it's about 30% of families that are doing that when just like using the money. Um, And so obviously that leaves 70% of good foster families. And I know like one of our close family friends, they're an amazing foster family. Um, But like, just the, like, the kid is already going through so much trying to understand, like, why they were put up for foster care, why they're put up for adoption, and they're trying to figure out their personal life issues, and then, like, their relational life, and so many other factors. I think the least you can do is take that extra income, because if, I think if you were living off it before, this goes back to another conversation that my parents and I had yesterday, but if you were living off the income that you were already making, that extra income, I think you can put towards the child and just trying to, um, trying to just minimize another problem that they would have to worry about in the future. Um, yeah. But yeah. Even if it's just like half of the check goes to the actual child and the other half goes to like feeding the child and things like that. Uh, I think, it, it only makes sense. If you're going to spend that much money, there's many ways you can split it up t- to benefit everyone in the situation and to mitigate chances of homelessness and things like that. Maybe they'll be able to get a therapist or something to also help with the PTSD. But it's very traumatic, especially for, like you said, uh, not having like, not knowing what's happening really. If, you ha- if you're in a situation where you're... Uh, parent or your guardian, whichever, you know, may be the case is going through, you know, a situation every couple months and they get uh, custody again every couple months. And then you go back to foster care, that constant change and that internal struggle that you have of like feeling like loved or, and like lost. Mm-hmm. And then if it involves siblings also and other people, it, it, it just, it leads down to the road for anxiety, depression, sometimes PTSD, like I mentioned, and like tons of other mental health issues yeah, that like, can like, repeat the cycle. Yeah. They just don't have a sense of home. They don't have a quote unquote home. They have multiple. So I think that's just, I don't know. There's just no words to describe it besides it's sad. And the mental health of children in general, like, as the generations go on, like, the mental health is decreasing, and a major factor of that is the access to technology and just social media is taking a major toll on people's mental health. Um, So I can't even begin to imagine the mental health that the foster care or being in a hospital has on a child at such a young age. Um, But, yeah, I think... Our, like our club, I mean, we've said it before, but it all just comes down to 
that short moment of happiness that we give them and hopefully the long-term impact and um, relationships that we're able to build and change their lives from there. And we're not, I feel it like we're not trying to be like a savior, have that savior complex. Like it's simply just becoming a friend to these people um, because at the end of the day, I think that's all a person really needs, you know? A shoulder to lean on. Yeah. Lean on me. <laughs> when you're not sh- Okay. Anyway, uh, I, I think me too. It's what, um, as I was to say, just flat out cancer camp, but that could be a misinterpreted when people don't know what cancer camp is. That was like kind of our theme song, but we had little like puts in, uh, little not puts in what are they called oh we would insert some words here and there to the gaps anywho none of that is of importance right now uh, I think right about now is a nice little transition to our connection to food yeah sure go for it so uh, since they are dealing primarily with foster care individuals um, and then Sometimes uh, it sounds like a little less of hospital children, children in hospitals. Oh. Um, their nutrition is obviously majorly impacted when you're in these unstable environments. You're not getting a consistent source of food and you're not getting a consistent, you're not getting checked up on enough to the point where you know if you're deficient and it can lead to a lot of problems, not mental health wise. Well, I'm sure they can, you know, vitamin deficiencies and whatnot can impact your mental health, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. And then in hospitals, hate to say it, that food ain't good. You'd think that, you know, healthcare, it'd be good, but no, it's not. Anywho, that's our connection for food today. Um, It's pretty basic, but I'm sure there are many other ways you can connect it to, but there it is. Steph, do you have anything to add to that? Um, sure. We have, well, since this is the beginning, like steps to our club, we haven't really like settled down on specific things that we are doing. It's just like a plan. Um, but another plan is to work in like a soup kitchen or something for the homeless, because obviously they're not like working, making their own money. They need money to food because, you know, they just need, you need food to survive basically. And I feel like if we get donations or anything to give these people food, then like, let's do it because they need it no matter like what time it is. So I think it's really important. Yeah. And how food is on the um, hierarchy of needs, how it's the basis, the base level, like you can't build a life if you don't have food. And so even our small, small donations um, or volunteering for a day in a soup kitchen just helps um, eliminate that worry again in a small way so that they can focus on more pressing needs, I guess you can say. Or- on to our inspirational uh, quote, yeah, can you? Sure. What do you got for us? So our inspirational quote, I should have figured out how to pronounce his name, whatever, um, is there are no seven wonders of the world in the eyes of a child. There are seven million. And that's by Walt Streitiff. And 
Um, to me, that quote, I picked it for this episode just because um, we're working with kids age, like birth to 18. Um, but I think that early childhood era, era of a kid's life is so impactful. And that's obviously how we all get to where we are today. And so um, it connects to our major and our degree in teaching and also just the club in general, just um, us really focusing on that time period in, the, in these kids' lives and trying to um, help them to access all of their imagination, all of their hopes and dreams, um, as cheesy as it may sound, is truly impactful because when you're born, you have all these um, views about a world about the world and um, you see it in I think such a bright way. And as you get older, unfortunately it gets diminished by some realities of life, but I think we should do our hardest to not diminish it and let the kids just um, imagine what they imagine and what they wanna do. And to um, also especially help them to understand that their circumstances do not determine their future and that they can really do whatever they want, no matter where they are in life. Right on. Alrighty then. Any final words of wisdom, Steph or Kenya, this time? <laughs> None? I feel good at that. Support uh, <laughs> our group, smiles for all. <laughs> You'll be singing it out soon. Did you guys have any social media as of now? No. Instagram. All right. We will. I'll give an update. In we'll update our Instagram episodes from now. <laughs> okay. So you can visit our website at nourishmysoul.org, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just search up Nourish My Soul, or. You can see us on Instagram at either nourish.my.soul, all undercase, or at, at from the ground up, no O in from, and all together. You can email us at alicia, spelled A-L-I-C-I-A, at nourishmysoul.org. And you can listen to us on YouTube. Just search up Nourish My Soul. My goodness, need to take a breath. Whew. Or you can listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, or Radio Public. That's all, folks. Kenya? <laughs> That's Radical Thursday for all of those um, sites, except for YouTube. Oh, duh. Yeah. Radical, not spelled. R A D I C L E. So, Girl Scouts. And Boy Scouts and non-binary scouts. <laughs> See you guys next week. Yep. Let me stop this. Okay.